Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, everyone? I'm Wilmer Valderrama. And I'm MR Raquel. Welcome back to Essential Voices. On this week's show, we're going to hear from Trini Ocampo, who's our essential worker and is an attorney with the Neighborhood Legal Services of Los Angeles County, which we'll refer to as the NLSLA. Trini works every day to protect and advocate for some of Los Angeles's most systemically underserved residents. She'll talk to us about some of the biggest threats facing the city's low-income residents and how egregious behaviors towards these folks were exacerbated during the pandemic. And after we hear from Trini, we'll be in conversation for our roundtable discussion with Los Angeles City Councilmember Nithya Raman and Yvonne Maria Jimenez, who is the president and CEO of the NLSLA, where Trini works. Councilmember Raman took office this past year after running a progressive campaign centered on finding solutions and ending houselessness in L.A. And Yvonne, meanwhile, has been working with the NLSLA for more than 40 years and is, in her words, a community warrior. Okay, let's get it going. Trini's story starts right now. Hi, my name is Trini Lado Campo. I go by Trini. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and, you know, following up with what's important to you as well? Sure. Well, I'm a native Los Angelino. I am what some people don't describe as being positive, but a social justice warrior. I am a person who is working for the community and for the people. How did you get into that? How long have you been doing that? Well, my whole career. So I guess I was raised by parents that were very community-minded. My father worked with veterans. My mother was a teaching aide. And it was all about lifting up and building up your own communities. And so I kind of used that experience and that upbringing, and I became an attorney. And I've been a legal aide or a consumer or community-based attorney ever since. So 12 years now. Is there a story? Is there a moment when you said, wow, this is something that drives me? This is a passion of mine. I've always known that there's power in the law and understanding your rights and, and what you are entitled to. But I think knowing that not everyone knows that and has that and can utilize that power in the same way, it made me want to be able to help others and to advocate for others for their rights to be respected and honored. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I also think about 
you know, what a lot of our listeners may or may not understand about the behind the scenes, you know, like what really happens and, you know, and what it takes to do what you do. You know, I think that there's a lot of toll that, that takes on you as well. But is there something that you love about your work that you wish people really knew or just it's something that drives you? I think hearing from the clients and, and how meaningful this is to be heard, to be listened to, to be advocated for. Just yesterday, I closed out a case with a client who said that she was homeless for some time. And it was really challenging for her because she served as a nurse for 30 years and then she retired. But she only became homeless because of an injury and excessive medical bills that led her to be living in her car. And so when she was housed again, she felt like she was treated as though she was just someone off the streets when she had contributed to the community for so long, for years, and had served others. And yet she was just looked at as a homeless person by the management company or by the landlord. And so we were able to advocate for her and get a successful resolution for that client. And that's just to find the humanity and to show mm. them the dignity that they deserve to all of our clients. I think that's what drives me every day. Anytime you get someone who feels like their background and their story is not honored the way that it should be, it is absolutely frustrating. Everyone has a backstory. Everyone has a history. Everyone's overcome challenges and are still trying to overcome challenges in many ways. Speaking of, of challenges, Serena, then you introduced to your work a pandemic, a world-changing event that challenges us all to think about life and the commute of living in a very different way. So how, how, do you, how did it all translate into your work? I got a call in the early evening that the city would be shutting down, our offices would be shutting down, and we need to pivot everything that we do overnight. And I remember being up until 1, 1.30 in the morning, changing messages, outgoing messages, wow. setting signage, so that people could still access our services. We had a lot of public-facing clinics that people could just walk into and get assistance with, you know, a variety of legal issues. And with all those shut down, we were kind of having to scramble to figure out, well, how will those people still get to us? Unfortunately, there were also people that didn't necessarily have the technology access. And so we're still coming up to our doors. And so how are we going to accommodate them? And so some staff are still going and making drives out to visit clients to make sure that we're understanding what documents they were served with, Mm -hmm. understanding what we can do for them. So it's been definitely challenging, but I remember that was a scramble, lots of phone calls, lots of emails, lots of coordination. And we were able to set up our remote operations, which we're doing now, I'm sure that's when you realize work and life is going to be different. It changed drastically how you pivoted your career and how you do things. And then how much of that work you now are bringing home, right? I mean, that's the other thing you people don't think about. Like once you're not having to go to an office, what does that do at home? That's another really interesting challenge, no? Yes, absolutely. And there's kind of been no divide. And so it's kind of up to us to set those boundaries, I found a groove. I relied on my oldest child a lot to watch the other two. And and my partner and I had to say, okay, you're on duty from this time to this time. And I'm on duty on this time and this time and hope nobody gets hurt and hope everyone's doing (laughs) like their minimum of their schoolwork or at least on the Zoom call. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of that. Because I'm sure the pandemic didn't make things slow down. I'm sure that it brought a lot of different stories that were affected by the pandemic. And how were some of those cases, the pandemic versus the normal cases you would have been handling? What were some of those things that came from the pandemic? I think the pandemic brought out some of the worst in people. 
people were so desperate. You know, you have tenants desperate to cling to housing when everyone's supposed to be staying at home to keep them safe, to keep their family safe. And then you had property owners who are desperate to get, they need that money to make their mortgage, especially smaller mm-hmm. uh, mom and pop landlords. However, we saw some of the most egregious behavior by some people when some of the most vulnerable families. So we had one landlord who removed the front door from the home of a single mother with young children, one with disabilities. We saw another property owner shut off the water and power for a month and refusing to put it on. We saw a nearly legally blind elderly man who was removed by the sheriff's deputies. There was one landlord who called the SWAT team and said that the tenant had brandished a gun and threatened to kill him when she was teaching her class on Zoom. She was a teacher, and she had just asked the landlord to do an inspection later in the day after her Zoom class was over. Oh, my God. So pretty crazy behavior and and pretty egregious behavior by property owners who didn't want to allow people to stay without paying the full amount of rent, despite Mm. the obvious disruptions to their jobs, to their incomes, to their families. And so housing is such a critical human right. And you think, what would you do without housing? And this is happening all over. Evictions never stopped. There's been evictions happening. People just didn't think they needed to take action. And so Mm. part of the battle was getting the word out and and doing town halls and doing Zoom sessions and ensuring that residents and tenants knew that, yes, there are protections, but you have to take action to exercise them. LA is, you know, prime real estate. It's It's a hot housing market. And we had a homeless crisis before the pandemic. Right. And this kind of just exacerbated it because, you know, landlords who are like looking at selling their properties to make more money. And now we're not getting rent from tenants or getting partial payments. And they're like more compelled and driven to kind of sell or to get people out despite these protections. And so kind of resorting to this more egregious behavior. Well, if I can't get them out through the court process because that's taking longer, then I'm going to find other ways. I'm going to shut off the power. I'm going to stop making repairs Mm. or I'm going to inspect their unit every day for the next month. You know, how do you, um, and I know this may be kind of an off the wall question, but how do you cope? I mean, how do you process, you know, I can hear the passion in your voice. Like how do you process these stories? There is some secondary trauma in that and hearing about these stories and dealing with these things and knowing that there's more people out there like that. But taking the time and self-care was really important. And so I always encourage everyone to to get outside, even if it's for 10 minutes, you know, I'll walk my dog. But, you know, the fresh air and the sun really does wonders. Yeah, you don't even know until the sun is kissing your face. You know, you don't really know until your your dog is wearing the tail because it's finally outside just going for a stroll in the grass. You know, I mean, that these little things are the quick reminders that we get up in the morning for a reason. And I think that your work and your stories and you sharing this truth, you know, with us, I think is in many ways, it allows us to look at a road of healing as well. Because we have to self-heal before we continue to get in the game, right? I mean, there's so much we can take, you know, and we have to allow ourselves to uh, rejuvenate, uh, rehabilitate, you know, and get strong, right? And so thank you for everything you're up to. Thank you for everything you've done. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, MR, I'm so amazed by the commitment Trini showed in the face of such cruelty. 
How have we gotten to this point where she literally has to fight to keep people's doors on their hinges? Yeah, Wilmer, that's a great question. And since Trini worked so hard on an individual level to give her all for each of her clients, I'm excited that we'll get to hear what's happening behind the scenes on a policy level in Los Angeles. So let's head right to the source. When we get back, we'll talk with council member Nidia Raman and Ivan Maria Jimenez of the NLSLA. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling, and it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together, and that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate, because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're here today with Los Angeles City Council member Nithya Raman and the president and CEO of Neighborhood Legal Services of Los Angeles. Hey, Nithya. Hi, Yvonne. Welcome. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on what Trini shared with us. Wilmer, kick us off. I appreciate the time you're giving us today. I think maybe we can start with your reactions to what you've heard. I'm sure you've heard similar stories and you've been part of some of those journeys too, but I'd love to hear your reaction from it. You know, I think Trini really laser focused on the housing crisis that we're facing today and so many people at risk of homelessness. But I'd really like to just 
step back and look at a bigger picture. One thing about COVID-19 and the pandemic is that it shone a very strong light on the disparities that we all know have existed for a long time. Lack of access to health care, lack of access to affordable and decent housing. For people who were living on the margins, I think that the pandemic just exacerbated their hardships and what they were facing. And for some, it put them really in crisis and in homelessness when they were trying to eke out a living prior to the pandemic. I do think that it's a very complicated social problems that we need to address. And that COVID-19 really showed the disparities on working poor people And that's why we see the high rates of infection among essential workers. Many of them could not stay home during the pandemic. So many of them live in overcrowded housing. Many of them could not lose their jobs. So they continue to work. And I think that Trini's stories that she's talking about really shine a light on one of the greatest humanitarian crises that we have, where we do not recognize the human right to housing in this country, in the state, and that people are losing housing because they've lost their jobs, because they've lost their income. And that includes struggling and working class homeowners who also can't make their mortgage payments and are losing their homes. So I think Trini's story is just a real graphic example of one of the areas that we're dealing with right now, in addition to many around health and childcare and access to good jobs. And what are your thoughts about Trini's story, Councilmember Raman? Yeah, the stories that Trini shared were so vivid and so heartbreaking. And I think for me, I'm new in this role. I've been here for six months. I started at the height of the pandemic. It was the worst, absolute worst moment in LA County. And that's when I took office. Hearing those stories, and we hear those stories when people call into our office, we hear those stories from our advocate partners who are in the field working on these issues and highlighting them for us. I think for me, it just really drives home how important it is to use this role that I have right now and my newfound power to try and take action. And actually in the city, we did take some action. Just on Wednesday of this week, we actually passed a law against exactly the kind of harassment that Trini was describing. And the discussion had been ongoing for a number of years before I got here. But since we were here, we were able to add some amendments that made it stronger, that hopefully will make it more powerful to address exactly what she's talking about. I love to go back to that moment of inspiration when you both thought, oh, wait a minute, I got to get in the game. This is my passion. I stand for this. This is me. Yeah, that's a great question, Wilmer. Councilmember Raman, could you start us off? To have come to this particular moment in my career to be in elected office, that decision is one I remember very clearly. And that decision was really oriented around where we were in L.A. And it was before the pandemic and it was before this last incredibly tumultuous year. And what I remember seeing around me was that we had a crisis of homelessness that was growing on our streets. And we had a moment in Los Angeles where I felt like people were responding to those who were living on the streets with anger. When in reality, in my mind, I felt like we should be looking to a city, a state, a county that had failed those individuals so completely. And that's where we should be directing our anger, you know? 
And so I wanted to run at that moment because I felt called in some way to try and change the dialogue around these issues. And I really had a sense of deep faith that if you tell people the systems that folks who are housing insecure or people who are already experiencing homelessness, if you tell them the system that they're facing as they're trying to stay in their homes or as they're trying to get out of homelessness, that anger will fall away and compassion will remain in its place. And I feel like the campaign and the fact that I was elected with no real political connections in Los Angeles, for me, it was a moment to change our landscape and to change our dialogue around it. And uh, that was well before the pandemic. You know, that was well before this moment that I feel like forced us into grappling with those issues much more than ever before. So I remember that moment and I remember that opportunity very clearly. And I'm very glad that I had the opportunity to be in a public space and shaping those issues during this time. Yvonne, how about you? The work that I do is very personal to me. I grew up in the neighborhoods that we represent in our organization. I grew up in poverty in East Los Angeles. I'm a native Angelino. My mother was a single mom, single head of household, immigrant into this country, didn't speak the language, and she suffered from severe mental health issues. So from very early age, I became her interpreter and her advocate. I was extremely fortunate to have wonderful teachers who took an interest in me and promoted higher education. And it is through higher education that I broke out of poverty. The work that I do is my passion. I've been in legal services. Our organization, Neighborhood Legal Services of LA County, provides free legal services to moderate and low-income individuals and families residing in LA County. I'm just a tenacious advocate for people whose rights are not respected, for individuals and families who are at risk of losing their housing, at risk of losing their children, and not having jobs, not having access to healthcare, because I experienced that in my own family. So my passion arises from that. I love the work that I do, working with community and working with people, especially low-income individuals in trying to forge ahead good public policy that brings about an increase in economic status and stability, access to education, to all those human rights that we should have, just energizes me. And it's very spiritual to me, too, to be in the middle of that work and just see people, how the law, which we practice, can be used as a very powerful tool to change lives and transform communities. And to have the very people in community involved in that is just a huge inspiration to me. We'll be right back after this break. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together, and that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate, because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me sharing memories, and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for. Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Essential Voices. We're trying to figure out what is not just what's obtainable, but what is Mount Everest? What is the Mount Everest of these conversations? And why are we not talking about Mount Everest while also having the same conversation that fulfills what do we need to climb Mount Everest? What kind of backpack? What kind of gear? You know, what kind of transportation to get us to the mountain? You know, like there's so many things that I feel like sometimes when you go to politics, when we go to campaigning and all of that, there's always like the broadcasting of the end goal. There's always like, here's what we're going to achieve, you know? But it's hard for, I feel, for like many communities to understand how can they be part of the fuel that makes it happen? Homelessness is the biggest issue that I think is facing LA right now. The most visible, the most top of mind for everybody. So for me, the Mount Everest there is not that we all want homelessness to end. Like I think everyone wants to see fewer tents on the street and people not living in public spaces anymore. I think the Mount Everest is getting everyone to agree on how we get there. And there is a big debate happening right now that is being played out all over the city. The sheriff is involved. Council members are involved. Mayoral candidates are involved. And it's really trying to say, how do we respond to this crisis? Do we respond to it by doing what we've always done in Los Angeles, which is we have had primarily a law enforcement-led approach to homelessness, and that hasn't really worked. We've taken down tents, we've arrested people, and people have come right back out and ended back up in homelessness. And Arrests actually lead to more homelessness and longer periods of homelessness. And just over these last couple of years here in L.A., we have started spending more money on homelessness, right? Like real money, real dollars we started putting into building housing, into services. And so now we have a chance to do something different right now. We have a chance to end homelessness for people by getting them permanently off the streets and into housing, into services, into care. And we just got started doing that work. And already people are pushing back and they saying they want to go back to the old approach because they're so impatient 
and they want everyone to be gone right away. And they don't understand it takes time to build that new housing. It takes time to get these services in shape. And it takes time to get folks who have been unhoused for a really long time and are struggling with mental illness and substance abuse and all the things that Yvonne talked about takes time to get them into care, right? And so for me, the biggest Mount Everest right now that we're climbing is to try and build consensus around a services-led approach to our housing crisis. And if we can get there and if everyone is saying the same things, that's what I want. I want everyone to say, we can do this. We can do this the right way. And we are committed to making LA into a model for the rest of the country. That seems to me like the most obvious thing that we should be doing in this moment. So I wonder what is the concept of self-destruction and where we cannot find the cohesive path to take together? Where the rubber hits the road is when resources for people who are experiencing homelessness or affordable housing is going up in your neighborhood. Right. So in theory, you're like, of course, I support affordable housing. Of course, I support services. But if somebody is like, well, now I'm going to put a safe injection site five doors down from you or down the block, or I'm going to build permanent supportive housing. That's housing that has services attached to it. So if you have mental health issues, you get taken care of in that housing. It's the best kind of housing to end chronic homelessness. People who've been living on the streets for a long time, that's what they need, right? And we got to build that housing. Every time you try and build that housing, the neighborhood around, people say yes, but very loud voices say no. And so that's where I think a little bit of that struggle comes is that in theory, as an overarching philosophy, you might agree with this, but you have to put it somewhere and it's geographically specific. And in the neighborhoods where it goes, people have fears, which I understand. I empathize with that. I really, really do. Um, I have five-year-old twins when we're walking around and there's somebody who's talking to themselves, who's obviously suffering from mental health challenges. My children are puzzled. Sometimes they're afraid. I don't want them to feel that fear. You know, so I completely understand why people might be fearful. We have to build an LA that says yes, and not just yes to the big idea, but to the neighborhood idea. And so that's what I'm always like, whenever someone's like, how do I help you? I'm like, well, I want to put something down the street from you. Come out and say yes. Thank you, Councilmember Raman. Your passion about getting folks out to just say yes is infectious. But on a more serious note, what you're describing is sort of like turning a blind eye to a systemic failure that could be remedied. You're saying that folks can, in theory, support permanent supportive housing, but only if it's not in their neighborhood, which means folks can turn a blind eye and not have to be confronted with folks experiencing homelessness who would be living in their neighborhood. And of course, these folks support building these facilities in theory. But once ground breaks and in their neighborhood, it's a different story. And also, I wonder if these folks who, in theory, support permanent supportive housing, but in reality don't want it in their neighborhoods, if they knew more about insidious eviction processes and how folks experiencing homelessness have been evicted and taken advantage of through no fault of their own, if they would have more compassion. And while the priority is ensuring that the folks at risk of being evicted know their rights, I wonder if eviction laws were more commonly discussed, how this could affect the success of building permanent supportive housing. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Yvonne, Trini shared some specific moments where clients of hers were facing evictions. And then you touched upon going out in the community and educating folks who are at risk of eviction about their rights. 
Could you describe specifically what that advocacy is that you do out in the community and how you help empower folks at risk of eviction to know what their rights are? First of all, we begin with what are the protections that have been provided at the national, state, and local level. And when COVID-19 came about, there were a panoply of legislation that went through from CDC to the state of California and city and county of Los Angeles. So for us, it was to make sure that people understood what laws applied to them, that people would understand that some of them did not. And also to understand that the eviction moratorium didn't mean no evictions could occur. Evictions have continued and our lawyers have been in court preventing those evictions. But for us to teach our constituents, our residents of the county of Los Angeles, what their rights are. We prepare written information in all of the threshold languages of the county of Los Angeles, Spanish being one of the greatest ones, Mandarin, Chinese. We then work with what we call trust centers, the churches, the schools, parent centers, clinics, health clinics, where people congregate that really trust the provider. And we work through those institutions because people will come there. If you were to call them into our office, they may not show up, but they'll show up at the church and they will show up at the school, perhaps. So we do that. We work with elected leaders like Councilwoman Rahman, where we collaborate. Her putting out an announcement to her constituents will really get to people and then scheduling that and coming out into the community to do that. During COVID-19, not only did we have to do that through technology, we had to teach people how to use technology in order to have access. So we and community-based organizations put a lot of investment into teaching people how to use Zoom or some other platform so they have meaningful access to this information and this teaching. And that is what we do. We continue to do that. That has never stopped. We have clinics. They're virtual. We will be going to in-person clinics in the next few months. But that is how we operate. And the most important key there is through the trust institutions. Let me go back to the issue of the homeless crisis and just say that we also need to step back and look at the other issues that contribute to that. And one I know, Wilmer, you'll understand is jobs, living wage jobs, and that we put people into job training, give them contextualized education for those business sectors that are hiring, that we connect people to jobs that pay good wages and benefits so then they can afford to rent housing. I think that's another part of the issue here that for so long, there has just been this pushback on the minimum wage. And, you know, when we look at our social supports, when we look at general relief, which is the safety net for single individuals without children or the temporary assistance to needy families, which is what everybody knows as welfare, the amounts of those supports has not increased for decades and decades. I think that we really need to look at this other criteria that is also contributing to the homeless crisis that we're seeing right now. Council Member Rahman? I think that that's absolutely right. I feel like for me, I spend so much of my time thinking about how to address the crisis as we're seeing it on the streets. And I feel like what Yvonne does is really try and prevent the crisis on the streets through her work. And what she's talking about is how to create a society that is 
designed not to produce this crisis. And I am excited and I think very honored to work with her group and with her and with so many of the other advocates in trying to build that society here in Los Angeles. That's beautiful. Thank you for your commitment to your community, Councilmember Raman. So to bring us out here and to wrap up our conversation, how do we reframe this conversation about care for folks who are experiencing homelessness or facing eviction? Because it seems like there's a general lack of compassion. So what would you say to folks to find that compassion and to reframe this narrative of care? Yvonne, what are your thoughts? You know, I remember uh, just a story I'll tell you real quick. When the influx of immigrants came into the San Fernando Valley from Central America, there was all this pushback uh, because they just had never seen these immigrants before. Our church gathered and we brought the group together and the immigrants spoke first through interpreters and talked about why they were here, the ability to seek a better life you could do in America, but you couldn't do it from their hometown, and how much they loved America, no matter the fact that they were highly disrespected. And before you knew it, the English-speaking community stood up and started talking about their immigrant roots, although they were probably generations back. But suddenly, it just, the conversation became uh, among real people, and their paradigm shifted of who these people were and why they were here. And sometimes I think that we need to do that. People are afraid of what they don't know. And if they were to meet some of these individuals, I think it would shift the paradigm for them. I think you're exactly right, Yvonne. People can be afraid of what's unfamiliar. And what would you say to folks, Councilmember Raman, to shift this narrative of care? I think inherently most people are very compassionate, right? Empathy is part of human nature. And so if you can give people an, a path to an outcome that marries your natural inclination to empathy with evidence that it can work, that's when you have your most powerful argument. And so for me, the thing I always lead with is really just to be practical. Like, has what we've been doing worked for you? Look at the streets. Is this working for us? So let's change it and let's use evidence to get to where we need to go. And when you're talking about affordable housing or particularly permanent supportive housing, which has services, it has people who are there to provide case management, mental health support, substance abuse support to folks who are in that housing. I think the biggest argument for me is always, you can either have people living on the streets with none of that support and none of that care, or you can have them in housing with that support and with that care. Those are our only two options right now. And so what would you prefer? In our roundtable, both Councilmember Raman and Yvonne gave really incredible calls to action in this conversation. So we encourage everyone to continue to stay active in their local politics and pay attention to decisions happening in your neighborhood because your voice or your vote could make the difference in someone having a roof over their head. Join us next week to hear from Lele Martinez, our essential voice, who is a chef at the Downtown Women's Center in Los Angeles, followed by a roundtable discussion between Amy Turk, the CEO of the Downtown Women's Center, and John and Vinny, restaurateurs in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for joining us today. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, M.R. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski, with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman, executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. 
This episode was edited by Sean Tracy and Luigi Villanueva and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks to this week's essential voice, Trini Ocampo, and to our thought leaders, Councilmember Nithya Raman and Ivan Maria Jimenez from Neighborhood Legal Aid Services of Los Angeles. Additional thanks to Martha Gonzalez, Anat Rubin, Monikea Robertson, Isabel Natterman, Gloria Pollock, Lizzie Thompson, and the UTA Foundation. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.